Fantasy NBA Hybrid Podcast brought to you by Jalen Nutzi, Michael Kimball, and Kyle Stein. And today we're joined by a special guest, John Wilmes. He's a molder of young minds, an excellent writer, an impeccable tweeter, and his mere presence on the pod engenders an even deeper longing for the before times. Since I met John in a grungy Baltimore bar where you could find plenty of art school types and apparently plenty talented, accomplished basketball writers too. Welcome to the pod, John. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, so last week, we had a mutual friend, Michael Wimmer, on the pod, and we talked a lot about our favorite basketball writers from Katie Heindel to Colin McGowan to John Hollinger, Zach Lowe, and Mike Prada. But I also threw your name into the conversation, and I specifically highlighted your piece in the New Republic about the constant attack on the NBA from white conservatives. Um, could you tell us a little bit about how that piece came together? Yeah, I mean, I think it was pretty conspicuous, right? Um, it's especially if you follow both politics and the NBA and you're extremely online, right? <laughs> um, over the past year, it's really ratcheted up and the Daryl, the whole Daryl Morey China thing was like really um, a spark plug for this, this rhetoric, just, just really, really escalating. Right. Then um, obviously, you know, the rhetorical um, nature of the bubble, all the sort of um, gestures, all the sort of, you know, let's be honest about what they were. They were, woke mostly empty gestures that the that the league um put out over the summer right um this really enraged people even though it was not really again not very substantive um and then people who never really actually cared about basketball anyway started pretending that you know oh well now i'm leaving it's like well you were never here in the first place you just don't really like watching basketball um but it's just a very convenient sort of uh gosh i don't even I think Frankenstein is the word I used in the article mm -hmm. um, because it involves all of this sort of um, jingoism about the Far East, about China, right, and communism. And then it mixes it up with, you know, domestic liberalism and, you know, prominent, powerful um, black men, right? Mm -hmm. so throw all these different things together. Um, ultimately, like, you know, basketball's relation to politics is the NBA specifically its relationship to politics is like tenuous at best. Like it's mostly just basketball. Um, and most of the other stuff is like, it's gestural or, or it's rhetorical, but with a few, like, I think um, exceptions of like actually meaningful um, metaphors and statements, right? Like I think LeBron just has struck lightning a few different times just because of very particularly chosen words or moves, right? Like when he calls Trump, you bum, like that, mm -hmm. that, that right. hit, that was a hit. Um, everybody liked that one. Um, or back when he was on the heat and him and Dwayne Wade all put um, their hoods up in solidarity with, you know, Trayvon Martin, who was murdered, like that stuff actually really hits. Um, but for the most part, this stuff is just, it's just pablum um, and acting like it's some sort of, you know, and acting like it's Malcolm X or something is just sort of, it's just sort of out of control. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm curious if it's if it's not Malcolm X, and I, I agree that it, it isn't. Um, was there any benefit to the social, uh, to use your word, gestures that the NBA was making in the bubble? Was was there any positive that came out of that? The slogans, which uh, um, you know, uh, could be considered a little 
land. Um, I can't remember what you used in the article to describe them. Um, but is there any benefit to those things? Is there any benefit, say, to people who aren't used to those sorts of slogans or phrases um, seeing that because they're watching basketball and they don't normally watch basketball uh, because it was one of the few things on and new at the time? Um, is, is there a way to look at it like that or not so much? I think there probably is. I mean, it's just a, a really narrow slice, right? Like, yeah. I think that that there's uh, an even probably smaller slice of people who are watching basketball and seeing that stuff and being just like really mad and really put off about it um, right. to, to the point that they turn it off, right? Right. Um, well, I, I completely agree. I don't think those people ever showed up to begin with or watched even in the bubble. You know, those people who have the reaction to it. Um, on social media, uh, just that sort of knee-jerk um, response. Um, yeah, like I, I assume most of those people were never watching to begin with and never even did that. Um, one other way I look at it is it's just in one sense, the NBA was, and we heard we heard it in the players and their, their press conferences and, and that got out on social media a fair amount. One of the things I saw happening that I thought was positive is that they were creating a kind of social norm by calling this stuff out, not being and talking about these difficult things when not so many people are willing to talk about them. So I had the sense that it was becoming a way of talking for some people People that they hadn't had in their bag before. And um, I, I thought that was maybe something positive that could come out of this. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But you ultimately have to look at the material limits of it. Um, and there's one particular instance in which, you know, those really peeked their head out very glaringly. And uh -huh. that was when, um, you know, somebody did a Photoshop of, of John Morant's jersey. And he's number 12. And somebody replaced his last name Morant with the word fuck. So it said fuck 12. We all know what that means, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. And um, and then he reposted it and said, "I want this jersey." Um, and then within 24 hours, he was apologizing for that. Um, and materially speaking, I mean, like the police are the problem, right? That's that is what everybody was protesting over the summer. Right. Um, and then we have an instance here where very specifically uh, and explicitly, you know, the NBA is saying, "Well, we're going to draw the line right here." And so right. we're going to draw the yeah. line right before the actual issue. Um, <laughs> right. Right. Um, yeah, no, it's sad that they could not take it further than that. Yeah, and I think we talked about this a bit uh, on the pod before and love to get your take on this, Kyle, but it feels like there's a distinction between uh, the players as individuals versus the players as members of the NBA and the NBA Players Association and the responsibilities that they have to this massive machine, this money-making machine, uh, along with like their their cohorts uh, and compadres in the NBA Players Association and where their decisions are affecting potentially the bottom line of these other players, you know? So it, it feels like A, there's like the individual, you know, there's the individual who's incited, who's upset, who's hurt um, by these acts of violence, by police, by these unprovoked acts of violence. And then there's like the player who's a member of the NBA Players Association who kind of has to walk this line in order to, you know, operate within the league's rules and, you know, not make too much of a fuss. And then there's the league itself who's like, uh, demonstrably in control of not making a fuss and not making, not putting out any messages that are too radical or asking for the wrong or the right kinds of change that they know will incite either further um, reactions from, from the right or just from, you know, general, pop, more populist, uh, larger number of people in the country. So it feels like there's all these like competing impulses here. Um, but obviously money is at the root of, yeah. of the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I really, 
I feel the need to zoom out a bit on it because, you know, looking back at the events over the summer in the bubble, you know, from our current perspective right now, where we're not even a week past, you know, what was an attempted coup, um, an insurrection, and you have the day after, you know, maybe it's maybe it's two days after, um, right-wing media begins to figure out that they can pin this insurrection on their two boogeymen of Antifa and Black Lives Matter. And, you know, looking back at the summer, I mean, it really was a sea change to have in bold black letters, Black Lives Matter on the court. I mean, I think the sea change that you're talking about was very real. And in that sense, I feel like, you know, yeah, I, I, in that sense, I agree that like these messages being so upfront is a general, generally a good thing. Um, and I think the critique there is more about just the fact that I think it, it's more about the fact that the league kind of has this marketing around being the, you know, the league of social justice, the league who's on the right side of these issues. Um, but they actually are the league with the more restrictive uh, anthem policy. Um, and so there, there are these ways in which they've navigated the situation and such that they know where, where they need to bend and where they can, uh, stay firm on things. And so it's hard, it's hard to navigate because in one sense, I do think that this league, um, is slightly better, um, you know, than the NFL, for example, in terms of like, you know, guaranteed contracts, you know, just the general health and safety, uh, although now that's coming into question with their handling of the COVID pandemic, but, you know, prior to that, um, you know, and then, you know, just the freedom for for them to do some of the things that they've been able to do. But, you know, there is also like the messaging, there is, you know, the the signaling, there is all that sort of stuff that they're taking on as a part of their marketing arm, um, you know, to get fans, which is like, you know, somewhat not real, which I think we talked about with Micah, where Kyrie, for all his mistakes, as he's continuing to make them now with this COVID stuff is kind of aware of that marketing arm, as as as, as I'm sure other players are as well. Um, I don't know if you want to j- jump in there. I'm curious: is there another major sports league doing better? No, on these measures, <laughs> definitely not. Um, no. I mean, the only thing I could think of would be the WNBA, who's been out in front um, on some of this, uh, you know, before the NBA was, but they never had quite the platform. Um, obviously their public displays against Kelly Loeffler were yeah. impressive. Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. great. Yeah. That's continued the to most, be. She's the most... still there. She's still there. Unbelievably. But yeah. Yeah. That and actually like bargaining for voting infrastructure in the stadiums um, have been the most substantive yeah. things that have gone down for sure. Yeah. Um, I just say that like the NBA's treatment of COVID now is like on par with the other leagues. Like they did an excellent job at the bubble, but then they just said, well, it was really expensive. The ratings weren't quite what we thought they would be, um, which is obviously going to be the case when you have five, seven, eight hours of daytime television out of season. People don't even know what's going on. Um, and they're just like, well, you know, whatever. We're, we're just going to do what the other leagues are doing now because we just need to get this going again. And they're sort of just jamming it through. They're ramming it through. Um, and I would say that, you know, the players are part of this too. Like they, they're not wanting to be in the bubble. You have to remember that they're like 20 and 30 year old um, multimillionaires, which is not generally a type of person who you can usually tell what to do or or who wants to be told what to do. So they're not reacting very well to these very onerous rules about how they can, um, you know, 
live their lives um, as they are made to tour the nation. Yeah. So, I mean, let's move to the the COVID element. John, you already talked about how the, the NBA pretty much is on par with every other league now, which is not a good thing. You know, we talked about them being better than these other leagues in these other instances, and it would be good for them to be better than these other leagues when it came to COVID also for health and safety purposes. Um, you know, you don't want people contracting COVID because it is a deadly virus, a deadly disease. Um, and I think it kind of ties into a certain degree with the article because I feel like I've heard people now talking about this online, um, as well as in podcast form, the idea that the NBA, as you said, is sort of ramming this through and they're pointing to the fact that, you know, for mental health issues, the bubble isn't sustainable for a longer period of time, but they don't seem to be making the proper adjustments to not do a bubble um, in, a, in a number of ways. And they also, I think Adam Silver has come out and said the NBA won't be skipping the line on the virus, which on its face seems like a good idea. But I've seen people pointing out that like, given how poorly the distribution of the virus is sort of nationwide from a government standpoint, um, that not skipping the line on the virus isn't actually helping anything if you're still playing the league as is and exposing these players to this yeah. virus. Um, and then not only that, but just the fact that like, maybe they're making the decision not to cut the line on the virus for optics, you know, for, yeah. for purely optics. Uh, what would you say to that? I agree. I, I think it is mostly optical. I mean, we, we know how much money and um, is involved and how much money is on this is at stake here. So obviously they could vaccinate everybody pretty quickly if, if, if that was, you know, their priority. Um, and the only reason it wouldn't be was, as you say, I think optics. Um, but when it comes to the vaccine rollout more generally, I get a little frustrated because I understand why people funnel their class resentments into the line, so to speak, uh, the mm -hmm. priorities of like who gets it first, obviously, you know, you see all these lawmakers getting the vaccine and then everybody's getting mad online, right? Because they're like, well, why should they get it first? Um, and I totally understand that. At the same time, every time anyone gets the vaccine anywhere, it's good, right? And so we should probably just be trying to get the vaccine in as many people as possible, as quickly as possible, um, particularly given that a lot of people are not going to take the vaccine because they're skeptical of it for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just like more vaccine, please, just more. Just like whoever, wherever, you know, as long as you're not giving it to people twice, right? <laughs> um, which, I mean, you need two doses of, the, of it to have it once, but I mean, like, don't give it right. four, four doses, right? Um, so I think they should just vaccinate the players. Um, it's not going to work. Like just no matter what rules, no matter how onerous the PDF of procedures is, um, you're traveling across the nation all the time with 30 to 50 people, 30 of those units. It's just not going to work. Like this is way too contagious of a virus. It's just simply not going to work. And um, we're, we're now seeing too with some of the NBA players who have uh, contracted it twice, or rather had positive tests twice had a positive test, recovered, and then are now having a positive test again. And they don't even know what to make of that yet. So, um, you know, people who thought they were probably safe from recontracting it seem to be recontracting it, or there were a lot of false positives uh, when they were testing back in the bubble or pre-bubble. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. If part of the thing, part of it that gets, gets overlooked is that there's just very basic physics that work against the nba here the sport is played yeah. indoors it's an in, it's an indoor sport um and it's a close proximity sport right 
yeah. go right up on each other all the time. It's not like baseball where it's outdoors and you're 90 feet away from everybody else. Um, it's really just not going to work. Um, they just need to get the vaccine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great point, which, yeah, it's definitely working against the NBA. You know, we can move now to like some actual basketball talk. Um, you know, we were talking beforehand. So we're in week four of the of the season. And, you know, amid all of the coronavirus postponements and issues that the NBA is having, there have been some pretty impressive performances from, you know, stars, established stars, as well as up and coming young players. And one of those up and coming young players is Brandon Ingram, although at this point he almost feels more like a veteran um, and the New Orleans Pelicans. And John, I know you said you've been watching the Pelicans and Zion uh, a lot. You tweeted out, I'm, I'm doing this from, from memory, so forgive me if I'm misquoting you, but that people were making too much of Zion before but now they're not making enough of him so yeah tell us why we should be watching the Pelicans and what we should be uh, paying attention to well I, I'm afraid that you know yes people aren't excited enough in my opinion whereas like I said they were too excited before especially given that he couldn't even get on the floor because he was injured um, but I'm worried that one of the people who's not making or some of the people not making enough of zion work for the pelicans and it's like <laughs> like stan van gundy and, and david griffin like put the ball in his hands more like let him create i want to see point zion like i understand that like brandon ingram has earned his place as top dog he was an all-star last year um he can always get a bucket but like i don't know it's just like zion's better to me like not right now but like it's just like on a very clear trajectory to be better in my opinion um, and they, I watched a game where they played the Pacers and it went to overtime and Zion didn't play in overtime, not until the last minute. And they were struggling and Ingram was, you know, doing some like Kobe stuff and like not scoring basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Pacers went up at like six or eight points. And then, you know, they put Zion in with one minute left in overtime and he immediately gets an and one. And it's like, well, you know, he could have done this those last four minutes too. Um, there's not really anyone who can guard him. Um, yeah. I'm, yeah. And I'm I think kind of, Stan talked about how he, he made a mistake by not getting Zion back in the game after in the post-game comments. Yeah. And he's, he's just being used like a, like a traditional big. It's um, like a four, basically um, a four or five on offense. You don't see him uh, getting the ball at the top of the key very often at all. Um, part, and he's kind of de- deferring to, I think he has those opportunities to create a little more, but um, they're, they're very, um, there's a very conscious bringing along process with him. You can tell, uh, they're really just trying to make him a winning player as part of the system. They're, they're focused on winning games with this team this year. Um, and I do think they can, they can make the playoffs. I don't think that's a ridiculous expectation at all. I think that a number of teams in the West have sort of fallen off and there's definitely an opening. I'm um, curious. I didn't see that game. Who was in for Zion if he if he wasn't playing in overtime? Who who was playing? Well, there's only so many guys who can play for them, right? Um, so it must have been, you know, Stephen Adams and Ingram. I know were in there, and it was probably some some mix of Lonzo, and Bledsoe, Bledsoe, and, yeah, Harder Reddick, yeah, Harder Reddick, yeah. Um, they they really only go uh, seven deep. Um, you know, it's really rough when Jackson Hayes or Nico Melli is out there. Um, Alexander Walker has really just not turned any corners either. Um, yeah, the Pelicans are a super interesting team. We talked about them a bit um, in our preseason episodes. I think Kyle and I differed. I was sort of pretty down on the Pelicans in part just because I was 
not convinced of the fit between Adams and Zion. It seemed like they were sort of detracting from each other's strengths in some ways. I mean, obviously they, they're going to kill it on the offensive boards. And I think they are doing that. Um, but I will say like early on, I think after the first week of the season, I was ready to like, I don't know if I texted Kyle this, but I was ready to, and sort of say, yeah, maybe, maybe I was wrong. Maybe the Pelicans will be just fine. And then they gave up leads in three consecutive games and lost to the Pacers. The game you're talking about, they lost to the Hornets uh, in the, in the ball brothers bowl. Um, and I think they lost uh, to the Thunder, another game that they were winning by, I think they were winning by double digits in that game. So I don't know, it seems like I, I tweeted this, that they almost seem like less than the sum of their parts. You know, um, I mean, Stan Van Gundy has talked about how they have a bunch of good defenders, but they don't defend particularly well or consistently. Um, so they're, they're a bit confusing in this way where it seems like Zion isn't doing enough. Um, Lonzo's shooting has seemed to regress from last year, at least at the start of the season, there's still plenty of time for him to turn it around, but yeah, I don't know. Kyle, what are your thoughts? You were high on the Pelicans early on. So not, not as high, but not necessarily anything having to do with the team. It, it's just what we've seen in the season so far. And you look at the standings at this point in the granted limited picture that we've had on a lot of these teams but for the pelicans to get into the playoffs they will have to finish ahead of at least three of these teams and i'm going to list them they will have to finish in front of and i'm only going to start at number five three of these teams so i'm going to say that the trailblazers are going to be in i'm just going to assume that Um, everyone from there forward will be in the trailblazers the jazz the suns the clippers the lakers i think they're all in So that means that the Pelicans are going to have to finish in front of either the Warriors, three of the Warriors, Mavs, Thunder, Spurs, Nuggets, and Kings. Okay, you figured that they can finish in front of the um, Kings and... I'd say the Thunder. For no other reason that the Thunder are going to probably take themselves out of the race i think if it, yeah if they're they, gonna trade those veterans if they get too too close they're gonna remove themselves from the race i think <laughs> yeah. sure actually i was wrong because that still wouldn't put them in they would have to finish they would have to finish up in front of a, at least four of that group of four, teams because, yeah because if they if they did that that would put the nuggets in the eight spot and also just thinking about it you know um i don't really want to bet against the thunder ever ever right now like they just always seem to just pull out enough wins and you've got Shea putting up 35 points a game in you know in a game here and there and like I don't know I mean they they just like they managed to like accumulate all the assets in the world and also develop them in house and Hamadou Diallo is looking like the player that I hoped he was last year when he was on my waiver wire watch for like months um it would be anyway, nice I, if you could make some free throws. I would have picked them up already uh, if you could make some free throws. But yeah, I mean, I hear you. They're probably not going to make the playoffs, but um, you know, the Thunder. But that still means that the the Pels would have to pass one of the Nuggets, Mavs, Warriors, Blazers, some of those teams. Do you think that they can pass any of them? Well, and it doesn't count the Grizzlies possibly coming on later either, who are behind them right now. It's true. Yeah, yeah the, Gri- the Grizzlies have stayed a, a little more competitive than I expected. Kyle um, Anderson showed up, man. Yeah. Yeah, well, we have to keep in mind that it's a, you know, you're right to think of it in the eight-team format because that's what makes most sense, but it's we're in a nonsensical format this year. Oh, right? yeah, the, the, the play-in, yeah. Oh, right, Tw- uh, 20 deep, so. Yeah, 
so they could, I mean, they could get in that play in bracket. I think they probably will. And then I don't know exactly how that works. Like if the seven and eight seeds are like good enough, they might be able to avoid that play in or something. I could be totally wrong about that. No, I think, I don't think you can avoid it. If you're in the seven yeah. and eight, you're just stuck in the play in game, no matter what. I think last at, year they had some sort game. of cutoff. Yeah. Yeah, if you're the seven, I think you have to still win a game to move on. And then you're talking about something that becomes really circumstantial because you're like, if they do end up in one of those, you know, we'll say, I don't think that they can make it to the seven and eight spot. They end up in one of the nine or 10, then they would have to, you know, beat one of these Mavs, Warriors, um, Mm -hmm. you know, Nuggets sorts of teams, two out of three. Or is that? Is, it's just a single game. It is just still a single game. Yeah. Um, so I don't know why it didn't. They, they, they have to win twice, but they just have to beat two different teams. Presumably. Exactly. Oh, yeah. that's what yeah. it is, right? Yeah. yeah, it rolls through with a team being eliminated with with a loss. Yeah. I think it'll be really fun. It, it definitely is mucking up the way that we think about teams, though. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. We just did it. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's weird it's, because I think I've, you know, I've heard it described a couple of times, but because I haven't seen it play out, I just keep like forgetting how it's going to play out. Like, cause you just right. don't have that kind of like, you know, entrenched memory, that impressed right. memory oh, and that it's you'll different get when, when it happens. Yeah. Too. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it reminds me of the 1980s when they had the 16, the normal 16 team format, but it was pre-expansion. They didn't have the wolves, the heat. Um, the magic number of other teams. So 16 playoff teams, 23 overall teams. Right. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I feel like my, my last thoughts on the, on the Pelicans are just, I don't know. I, I, I guess I feel like Brandon Ingram is really good and he's t- continued to take strides in his game, but I wonder if he's good enough to constantly go Kobe in the final minutes of a game. Um it just seems like their offense turns into Ingram ISOs late in games and they don't seem to fare well late in games, you know, not exclusively because of that, but certainly a part of that. And I think, I think you're right, John, I think Ingram, I mean, uh, Zion needs to do more. I think Stan has even said that they've given him the freedom to grab and go more and he hasn't really done that. So I'm sure it's both ways, you know, I'm sure it's Zion maybe not feeling completely comfortable. His handle can be a little shaky at times. I think it was the first half of that Hornets game. He had a couple of turnovers where he just seemed to be falling over and losing the ball a bunch. And then he, he steadied himself in the second half and had a, a really nice second half in that game. But yeah, it just seems like, like between Zion and then Lonzo just sort of not knocking down shots. um, I'm, I'm sort of at a loss for, for what they're going to be. Yeah. Overall, I think it's just, it is like you say, sort of a weird fit where the, the sum ends up being the overall ends up being, you know, less than the sum of its parts. But um, I want to note them as a sort of less, I think, extreme version of, of the bet that Elton brand made with the Sixers roster last year, where it's like, you know, rebounding is just underrated, basically. Um, and it is, it is an NBA analysis, right? You, people are very obsessed with spacing and with shooting, and you don't hear very much about rebounding. And when I do watch the Pelicans beating teams and playing well, you look at the box score and they've got like 15 more rebounds than the other team. And it mm-hmm. just leads to that many more shots. And it also is a big reason why their defense has been pretty good. It's, you, you have to finish the possession with a rebound, right? Um, this is we saw it the inverse of this with the Rockets doing their extreme small ball experiment last year. Ultimately, they just couldn't get a rebound. They couldn't. They could do a good 
quote unquote defensive possession, right? But then if you don't get the rebound, it actually isn't a good defensive possession. Um, and the Pelicans could, they're, again, they're a less extreme version of the Sixers trying to do that last year. The roster makes more sense than the Sixers did last year. Um, but I will be thrilled if, it, if, it, if that ends up working. I, just, I don't really think it will, um, <laughs> um, but I, I would like to see it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think we can all root for teams sort of um, zigging when others are zagging. Um, all right. So th- let's take a look at the Hornets now. Definitely uh, a league pass team for me. Uh, I think they're becoming a league pass team sort of internet wide. Um, LaMelo Ball is a lot of fun. I mean, Gordon Hayward's on the team that that's that's there. Um, and <laughs> um, Wait, are you saying he's not as fun? No, he's definitely not as fun for for any any number of reasons. No, I knew um, the answer. I just had to ask. Um, and Miles Bridges is on the team, and, and he he's and, fun. He is fun, and he and Lamelo have a great connection. So, yeah, any thoughts on the Hornets? I, I love them. I mean, I think Terry Rozier is a lot of fun too. I specifically, I I'm specifically yeah. interested in the fact that he didn't play that well last year, and then over the summer, he watched the Last Dance and didn't apparently know anything about NBA in the 1990s. And he's, <laughs> he's tweeting like Michael Jordan, who's his, his boss, basically the owner of the Hornets, right? He's like, wow, he was, he was that good. They won, <laughs> like, they won six times. And I'm like, yeah, dude, they did. And, uh, and uh, it, it seems to have inspired him to take his game to the next level, which is great. So a documentary um, made him a better basketball player. I, it seems, you know, <laughs> it seems that way from the outside. Uh, but I, I, Hayward is funny because, you know, your lack of enthusiasm for him is, is totally understandable. And I generally share that, but I've just had kind of, I've kind of had fun watching him this year. Um, he just does like weird, like not weird, but like actually very normal crafty. He, he refuses to stuff. take layups and doesn't take floaters. He takes three foot jump shots and you're like, dude, take like one more dribble and lay the ball up. And he's like, no, I'm just going to take this completely like strange two-handed floater from like three feet away from the basket but he's he's playing really well is the thing yeah he is he is and and i did and i think like he he's a good passer which is something that i really enjoy and there's like a an ethos on the team between he uh lamello and um and Devonte, they they all are really good passers and it it seems to like imbue this the, the team with like that sort of move the ball spirit as much as I like watching the Hornets and don't really care about watching Hayward at all, I do think he's playing really good team basketball and he's helping bring these guys along. That's, that's my whole point is, (laughs) is as simple as that. Like, you know, I don't want to watch him, but I feel like he's necessary out there to make this whole system work. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm I'm mostly talking about his political stances and yeah, everything yeah, outside of, of basketball. He's <laughs> yeah. he's a good player, and I think when he's not injured, he's he's a good player. He's going to help your team. You know, his size gives him at least a fighting chance on defense, and like right. like I said, his playmaking. And obviously, in Charlotte, he's got more responsibility. So I think he had thirty the other night. I think he scored forty a couple nights before that. So he, he's putting up yeah. big lines and he's getting other guys involved. And I mean Lamelo threw him a full court pass like it was like a post entry pass and he just turned and shot it like in one motion in transition the other night. So yeah, I'm with you. They're a, they're a ton of fun to watch and um Lamelo is as advertised, you know, like he's a savant passing 
Yeah. I mean, it's true. It's true. Even more. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's not a project at all. They People were like, he's going to be great, but he'll be a project. Yeah. He really isn't. He never turns the ball over. He plays super smart. Yeah. I mean, he just, he's like, you have to imagine this comes somewhat from like playing the insane like style of basketball that he did and competing with his two older brothers who are in the NBA ecosystem his uh, Leangelo's in the G league. Like he, 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 Trey young was guarding him the other day. They tried to hide Trey young on him. He just bullied Trey young to the basket a couple of times. He pulled out the Dwayne Wade sort of like, you know, it's not the Euro step. It's where you bring the ball over above your head in front of the guy's face. He pulled that out on someone the other day. Like he's just, his feel for the game is just next level. I really wonder if some of those GMs who are bad mouthing him are rethinking the things they were saying pre-draft. And speaking of GMs and zigging and zagging, though, I'm going to point out just a couple of numbers here. Charlotte is kind of in the middle. They're like a part zig and part zag right now. So um, they've done better here in that um, they've increased their three-pointers made per game from 12 last year to 13 this year, 12.1 to 13.1, which puts them in the middle of the pack. They're 14th in the league right now. They are, however, not particularly quick um they're still ranked in the 20s in terms of pace so they've 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 zagged a little bit um with their three pointers per game and they're still um zigging plenty with uh with their pace and as we've seen with you know philadelphia and their rebound strategy last year and san antonio going all in on lamarcus aldrich and and demar Derozan, and you know two-point um you know long two-point jumpers um zigging isn't always um effective yeah um i mean i don't know i I don't know i i think they're projected based on like raptor or whatever to be in the 10th seed so i think that's probably about where they where they'll end up but you know the journey there i think will be a lot of fun yeah, I want to note that the, the Trey Young matchup, Trey kind of left the floor with his head home the other night after that matchup with a very clear, like, I just got I just got beat by a rookie kind of look on his face. Yeah. Um, and it reminded me of a, a sort of not very remembered, but I thought great NBA moment like two or three seasons ago. Kyrie was on the Celtics. They were in Denver. And Jamal Murray just went off on him and scored 48 points. And it was memorable for the re- for one reason, which is that he had 48 and he took an unnecessary three, like at the buzzer to try to get 50. Um, when he was clearly like showing the signs of just dribbling the clock out, he like sized up and took the three and Kyrie, <laughs> Kyrie started jawing at him. And I don't think that Kyrie was actually mad about that. I think he was mad that, you know, he just, he just, got whooped by a younger player who was doing things that he used to do to older players. Um, yeah. And didn't he, didn't he throw the ball in the stands after he that? Did. Yeah. He <laughs> did throw the ball in the stands. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's true. And I mean, speaking of like getting the best of older guys, uh, LaMelo outplayed his brother in the, in the ball. Yeah. ball. Like yeah. he, he hit a three on his head at the end of the third quarter and you just knew he was going to take it. It was like the end of the quarter shot clock the shot clock was off. You just knew he wasn't passing the ball in that situation and he made it, uh, but it wasn't just that. I mean, he, he just played, he made winning plays, got offensive rebounds, does what he does and he outplayed his brother. And I almost sort of feel bad for Lonzo because it feels like 
everything that people expected of him is kind of more in tune with his brother's game. You know, the, the scoring aggressiveness, um, the same, they're both great passers, but you feel like LaMelo, if not a better passer, he's a more functional passer because of that scoring aggressiveness. Um, and because he has more counters, he can actually fit. He's not finishing well around the basket, but I think that will get better in time. And the fact that like he has Euro steps and ball fakes and all these things means that he can just kind of string the play on for a little bit longer until that opening, uh, he sees the opening and then he can dump the ball off to someone whereas Lonzo is just you know the 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 paint is pretty much a no-fly zone for Lonzo like he's he's not taking shots at the rim he was passing up a ton of shots at the rim in that game so yeah hopefully Lonzo can find his footing but you mentioned Trey Young um let's hop to the Hawks very quickly um what are people's perception of the Hawks they they started off hot I think they were 4-0 then I think they lost four or five in a row um, you know, there was the weird drama between Trey Young uh, and John Collins. There seems to be like a subtle fight for the offense. Um, and then they, they sort of righted the ship against the seriously undermanned Sixers last night. Uh, where, where are you at on the Hawks? Michael, were you going to say something? Um, you know, they, they just lost Bogdan. Uh, the Collins um, disagreement with Trey seems to be a lot about his contract. So uh, I'm a little worried about how that team's just working together, clear roles, uh, things like that. Um, You know, I think that really has to be solved before they take the next step. And I don't see it happening quite yet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hope it works itself out. John, I think of you as someone who has a bit of uh, NBA historian in them. Do you have like a, a comp for this sort of like cold war for the offense between Trey and John <laughs> Collins? Uh, another situation that it reminds Shaq you and of. Kobe. Uh, kind of hilariously, not, not really. Um, Shaq and Kobe is obviously a good one, but um, not one where the talent um, between these two people was commensurate, but it, it, I just remembered Kyrie Irving and Dion Waiters. <laughs> um, um, I, I always think about that and i actually am a big Deion waiters fan i literally have a Deion waiters jersey but i understand his um you know his talent level but was um, waiters ever good like you know, the other five guys we've just named collins young shack kobe uh, no, uh he's a good you know, role I, player yeah. yeah like on the thunder he was actually very good because he super respected kd and and just uh, was an excellent role player on i think probably the most okay. underrated underrated team of the past decade that you know they had the warriors in the corner the only reason they lost is because they choked in my mind right Um, yeah yeah i mean i don't know i I was reading the article in the athletic about it and i think as you said michael it feels like it feels like john collins is worried about his next contract and he wants more touches and he wants to do more scoring but um i think their plus minus when both of them share the floor is pretty good Um, And not so great when Trey's on the floor by himself and Trey has had some struggles this year, but it just seems, uh, and maybe someone will like, well, actually us when we post the podcast, but it just seemed like very untimely uh, criticism from, for John Collins. Trey Young is down to like 5.6, three point attempts a game this year compared to, I think he was taking nine last year. So it's just, he's taking fewer three pointers and just in watching the games from the eye test, it feels like he's consciously like you can see he wants to take more, but he's passing them up to try and get other shots. And you know, what that has turned into is more rim attacks and he's not shooting super well at the rim. His, his uh, floater is not falling as well as it was in years past, but 
I don't know. I take that as a positive sign. The fact that he's passing up those, those three point attempts. Although I do wonder if that's actually a good thing for him and by proxy, like a good thing for the offense as a whole, I almost think that him taking more threes is better for his ability to get into the lane because it forces people to respect that every jitter might turn into a three point shot. So um, I don't know. I, I feel it. I, I tweeted about this and I just kind of feel like it was untimely and doesn't really stick. I mean, his, his three-point attempts early in the clock, um, it, are, they're just down. They, all those numbers are down compared to last year. Where you want to have – if you have a problem with Trey Young, I think it's – you know, he he cuts across the face of his teammates in transition because he wants the ball because he's so used to getting the ball. You know, little things like that, his defensive effort. I mean, I think those are all legitimate complaints, but I'm not really sure about this one as a legitimate complaint. Well, the reason I, uh, I thought of – Kyrie and Dion was not just to be silly. I think that the reason I thought of it is because you, know, you shouldn't be having this, this ego battle over the offense between Trey Young and John Collins when you haven't actually won anything or accomplished anything. Right. Um, and that was the dynamic with Kyrie and Dion too. It's like, why are you guys acting like you're two, you know, proven winners right now? Like you guys haven't even gotten to the playoffs yet. Um, so that's worrisome, obviously, but I think it might be symptomatic of just going out and getting so many guys. Right. Um, and having this log jam that obviously makes people feel insecure, not just in terms of where my minutes going to come from, where my touch is going to come from, but also like, where's my money going to come from? You just gave all this money to these other guys. Like, how am I going to get paid by you guys? Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I thought, I thought when they brought in Danilo Gallinari that uh, we, we were seeing <clears throat> the writing on the wall for John Collins. I just, I feel like he, he, you know, he's going to be a restricted free agent, right? So they still will have yeah. the opportunity to retain him. But I even think if they do resign him, that he's likely a trade chip in, you know, either this year, next year, um, soon. And um, I don't think that that dynamic will work. And I, I, I really question whether he'll want to stick around. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's tricky. And, and as John said, like in the, the reality is they both need to improve. Trey needs to give better effort on defense. And so does John Collins. John, Cla- John Collins is a, a phenomenal offensive player, but the, the whole reason that like he didn't get the max contract he wanted is because he's not a viable center starting center. He can't, you know, anchor your defense. If that was the right. case, then the, that would be a moot point. They just give him the money. Um, so, right. Yeah. I just looked at Trey's stats. He's six for 26 in his last five games from three, six for 26. So fewer attempts and even, yeah, obviously the percentage is not good. Yeah. And I mean, he, he did kind of seem to do like pull a Kobe or LeBron in like the 2014 finals where he was just like, he he only took nine shots, I think in, in the game against the Hornets, he had a bunch of turnovers, but he kind of seemed to be playing like in protest of John Collins calling him out and just like, yeah, whatever you, you all do this, you know, uh, as I famously remember, LeBron did that at the end of the 2014 finals, when the Spurs were ripping them apart, he was like, almost like subtweeting Pat Riley, like, look what you gave me, look at this crap you gave me, look who I'm passing the ball to out here. Um, but, uh, John Wilmers, you are a Bulls fan. You are living in Chicago right now. Um, shine some light on the Bulls for us. Well, there's, this is the first time there's been any light to shine on them in a while. <laughs> um, you know, I, I used to cover the league more full-time. Um, I work more as an English professor now, but I was, it's around 2015 
I started making that transition professionally. So I was going to Bulls games a lot and I'd grown up as a Bulls fan. Um, and, you know, this came from a place of love, honestly, but I was writing very critically about the team. Um, and at a certain point, they stopped letting me come in. Oh, um, no. So my, um, you know, my bitterness has been pretty strong for a while. Um, but kind of everybody who was part of the team and who deserved to be written about in that way and, you know, all whose failures were foretold by myself and anyone who was writing honestly about the Bulls at that time, basically when they were the best they'd been post-Michael Jordan, I would say that was at least in terms of roster talent and potential, it's not the furthest they got, but that 2014-15 team was the best because um, that was when Jimmy Butler turned into an all-star, basically. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that really takes you to the next level because, you know, you didn't have to give up anything to get this guy. You got him late in the first round. Those are, those are the kind of things that really take you to the next level. And, and at the same time, everyone's mad, right? Um, and they fire Thibodeau at the end of this season. And it has to do with all this um, stupid pettiness um, and ego um, on the front office level. And, and finally, you know, and Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner, doesn't care about any of this because the Bulls were always in the top three. Usually they're number one in attendance. Um, and then finally last year, the goodwill from the Jordan years must have ran off or something because they finally were outside of the top 10 in attendance. Um, and they got rid of all the people um, who were ruining everything for the last five years. Um, and now it's a normal basketball team. You know, <laughs> it's not like a weird Trumpist project. Um, <laughs> And, and, and they have an okay amount of talent, right? They're not super talented. Um, like even if everybody on the team reaches their top level, I don't think that they're more than, a, you know, a low seed in the Eastern Conference, um, but that's okay. Like I had a lot of fun watching the Scott Skiles years, the Vinny Del Negro years. The most fun I've ever had watching basketball was when the Bulls and the Celtics played um, that ridiculous first round series in 2009. And uh, that's was that all. The, really... Was that the Nate Robinson series? No, that was that was Thibodeau years. That was in one of the Derrick Rose injury years. Okay. Uh, Two thousand nine was uh, Ben Gordon years. Mm. Oh wow! Deep yeah. cut. Yeah. So I mean, the Bulls are really interesting, both I think from like a fantasy standpoint and just a real NBA standpoint, because like I mean, fantasy is essentially prospect analysis, right? Um, and the Bulls have a ton of prospects. So you know, you've got Markkanen, you've got Pat Williams, you've got Kobe White. I mean, Levine is an established guy, and we know what he is, but. I don't know, maybe someone is still hoping that he can be more than what he's shown or that in a different situation, he can uh, give you more or just do the same thing in a limited role that therefore leads to better outcomes. So yeah, where do you come down on, on the prospects and, you know, Zach Levine's top level in the NBA? I mean, I love Zach Levine. I think that anybody who's been a committed, I mean, honestly, I haven't been that committed. I've just sort of pulled my heart away from the team because I, I knew that things couldn't possibly get to a certain level with Jim Boylan, the worst professional coach I've ever seen um, in any sport, except for maybe Mike Singletary when he was the coach of the 49ers and um, pulled down his pants and spanked himself at halftime to prove a point. Um, <laughs> that's, that's the only thing I think worse than the stuff that, that, I, that Boylan would be doing all the time. Um, on the Boylan seems like a high school coach to me. Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> all these like doddering metaphors and stuff. It's just like, yeah. Bro, shut up. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but I love Levine because he kept his head up throughout that whole experience and always made the games worth watching. Not always, right? Like they had a lot of horrible games, but like he, more than anyone on the team, 
made the games worth watching because um, he can go off on any particular night. And, you know, even, even last year, which was one of the worst full seasons ever, in my opinion, um, they actually had one of the most thrilling sequences that anyone in the league had that year uh, because of Zach Levine, when they came, I don't know if you guys remember this, when they came back late against the Hornets, they were down by like 10 with a minute left or something. Oh yeah. Levine hit like 10 threes or more that game. He just kept pulling up at half court like three <laughs> times in the last minute and making everything. And it was just unbelievable. Um, so I love that guy. He's always had a great attitude. He's not good at defense. Uh, <laughs> he's never been a very good playmaker. Uh, and they don't have a playmaker. That's the main thing that they're missing. Um, when they're at their best, it's because they're passing well as a team. And like Ted Young and Otto Porter are both really good passers for their respective positions, but they're not primary playmakers. Um, and, you know, Kobe White is a lot like Levine in the sense it's like, all right, you can be a guy who is up up there in the top of the league on certain nights as a scorer. Um, but, you know, it's not that consistent. You don't play defense. You don't play make. Um, but I, I, would, I would that may go to Sadoransky when he's healthy, no? Absolutely, yeah. That's 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 a big part of what they're missing. Not like he's an elite playmaker or anything, but um, but he's a functional playmaker. Like he's a solid yeah. guy. He will, and he'll, he'll help them a lot. Um, you know, my expectations aren't super high for the Bulls yeah. this year. Like the comeback against the Blazers that they had last week was like. Can I'm they happy. get to the ten? They can. I mean, it's not impossible. Um, the thing is, the league is just really good this year overall. Sure. Like, there's there's just not. There's just not that many obviously bad teams or really any. I think the Pistons are an obvious. <laughs> the Pistons. Yeah, we can agree on that one. Yeah. I'm very excited about the Pistons being bad and maybe actually getting a, a top three pick for once. I mean, because they have been middling bad for so long that just really tanking would be thrilling. I mean, this relates to both the Pistons and the Bulls. How how do you, Kyle, feel about passing up on Halliburton? And, you know, sort of maybe not exactly the same question, but for Wilma's, like, uh, you know, Pat Williams over Halliburton. Um, Halliburton clearly looks like the better player right now. Um, I'll, I'll, with, <laughs> I'll withhold judgment for the moment. Um you know, Killian Hayes is really young and the Pistons are not going to be any good for a while. Halliburton is coming in and is immediately impactful and what he's going to be immediately impactful on a team that is terrible. Um, and, you know, it, it didn't really matter, uh, you know, and so I'll, I'll wait. And I think right now it looks like Halliburton will simply be the better NBA player. Um, I think that the, the odds are strongly in favor of that. Um, but I'll give it two years before I give a, you know, a final pronouncement on, on the, the Pistons draft pick there. Do you think Hayes develops a right hand in the next two years? He's like, going to have to. I mean, he has to, but I watched, I watched the game against the Celtics and, and um, the, the kid that looks like a proud boy a little bit, Peyton Pritchard, just ate him alive. Like it was, it was unbelievable. He overplayed his left hand and Hayes could do nothing. It was, it was sad. Like I gave up on Hayes then. Yeah, yeah, I didn't get, I haven't been able to to see 
moments like that but you know even in the like the cleveland game that i saw no he he uh he just couldn't really make an impact on the floor and yeah and i mean that will happen when you know half your you're giving up half your body <laughs> yeah yeah it's a problem yeah i feel like adam silver should have stepped in and sort of ushered Peyton Pritchard to a different franchise in these divisive times. He's really not helping <laughs> yeah, the, I know, the right? collective right? spirit yeah. of the country right now. Not yeah. at all. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that in regards to Halliburton, the whole thing was weird. It seems like they had ways of making him drop because he could have gone four and he went yeah. 12, right? Yeah. Um, he could have gone to any of the teams in that gap, but there was a plan in place to get him there. Um, involving his agent, Aaron Mintz, apparently. And, you know, I don't know exactly what kind of leverage players in that exact position really have, um, but apparently it's some. Yeah, it seemed to be enough. Yeah, I, I heard that he, he withheld medicals or something, but you'd have yeah. to imagine that he was doing more than that um, to, to drop all the way down to 12. But I like Pat, Patrick Williams. Um, I love I mean, him. Well, yeah, I was going to ask you. I mean, so I picked him up in one of my fantasy leagues um, just as a streamer one day and kept him around, I think, because it was a back to back and his defensive numbers were just so impressive that mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'm just going to sort of like sit and ride this. Um, and it's particularly notable because that's a 12 team league, which means that like there are a lot of good players out on, you know, available as free agents. And I've chosen to keep him this this entire time i'm sure you've watched a lot more of the actual games that can tell me maybe why i like those stat lines so much well i mean the most obvious um footage is him guarding lebron last week Uh, he did a really good job um i mean i think we can all agree that lebron gets away with some lowerings of the shoulder um (laughs) and uh he he you know when it when it comes to guarding lebron it's that's just a given right um, but it's a matter of how well you absorb that and keep your position. Um, and he really did. And it's like, how hard of a finish are you going to force LeBron to make, right? Because he can always make the hardest finishes. Um, you're not really going to be able to stop him. Um, but he really made him make some really tough plays. Um, and he made him pass the ball away, not even in a playmaking kind of way a lot of times. Um, so I love him. I think he's great. And I think, you know, in terms of whatever they're of him or whatever they're of Halliburton. I mean, I'm not really sure. I know that, that they, I know that the reason they drafted him um, as because Arturos Karnasovas, the new president of the Bulls said was that he's a wing um, and that's a position of weakness throughout the league. Right. Um, so they're thinking of him as a guy who's definitely going to be useful and he's definitely going to be a useful wing. And those are always a demand in the league. Um, right. So from the asset perspective, you know, good move. Speaking of wings, John, I have to ask about a player uh, from the Bulls who's always intrigued me in an odd way, in part because we both went to MSU. Uh, is Denzel Valentine a good NBA player? He never has been. Um, <laughs> I watched recently, him making shots the other night. I'm like, when did this happen? He looks good this year. Yeah. Um, he. I mean, a lot of guys just look good because they're playing for Billy Donovan instead of Jim, Jim Boylan. Um, <laughs> Like it's just, he could be a useful NBA player. Like everyone on the roster could be. I Christian Denzel, Val- no, but he's not. But otherwise, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. Denzel Valentine. I mean, he fit a kind of, you know, 
Tom Izzo mold. Um, you a know, great I, college so, player. I, yeah, I thought I saw him. So when I when I saw him coming out of of Michigan State, I thought he's like a small Draymond Green. He does all the things that Draymond Green that, does. That's why except, he's in the league because except, of that comp. Yeah, except yes, except yes. he can't he can't do it at the scale or the size that Draymond did. Or, but, or the but, speed. Don't forget, Denzel Valentine looks glacial out there at times. Sure. Yeah. I mean, basically, then every attribute you just diminish it by like I don't know, <laughs> two thirds or half. But you're yeah. like, it's still a useful skill set, and yeah. it's been one that's been able to keep him in the league um, for you know a number of lackluster years. And um, I'm happy for him. Yeah, me too. I, I saw him making shots the other night, and it made me happy in a way I didn't expect. I was like, wow, he's he he maybe he finally got there. Yeah, he's, he's been useful this year. I, I'm less worried about him, uh, not just because he was playing better, but also because, you know, he's, like, not a big commitment, like, moving forward. You're not going to have to right. pay him a lot of money. Of course. The guys that Bulls fans are worried about are Markkinen and Carter because they still seem to have their heads in boiling clouds um, and not necessarily – they just they have never looked confident. Carter has never really looked confident almost his whole career, uh, except weirdly when he started and um, – Fred Hoiberg was still the coach. I went to one of his first games and he played Nikolai Jokic to a draw. It was like, wow, this guy's going to be great. And he's like, almost never saw that again. Um, right. He and, does look lost out there and has, there's a lot of hesitation. Uh, yeah. Boylan his, really ruined him and Mark. And, and it's like, we, I, we need to see them come back from that. Yeah. Is, uh, is Markkinen making threes this year? He played, a, I saw him playing against the Warriors and he was knocking down threes until he like twisted his ankle and got, uh, had to be removed from the game. But I mean, I, I don't know if the defense will ever come around for Markkinen, but I mean, he's shooting 47% from three this year in four games. So I yeah. mean, obviously he's not going to do good. that the entire year, but <laughs> if he can just make threes really well, that that'll be enough. Like, I mean, I don't know. He's not going to block shots like Chris Tapp, but Chris Tapps is pretty much like a low efficiency big who makes threes and block shots. And like, if he can at least approximate some of the shot blocking or at least decent defense and just hit threes at a high clip, then that's a valuable player, I think. It is, yeah. They they declined his option, um, or they, I don't know if that's the right term. They could have re, uh, negotiated something to lock him down, and the window passed. So this is like a, this is now officially like a tryout year for Markinen. Um, yeah, which I think will be good. Um, I I hope to see him playing that well again when he, whenever he comes back. But uh, who knows when the Bulls are going to play again at this point. Yeah, it's true. They're, they're just ravaged by COVID right now. Um, before we close out, a co- couple questions. So, Michael, you mentioned MSU product. Miles Bridges is on your fantasy team. Uh, I offered you a trade involving DeAnthony Melton for Miles Bridges, which you, you passed up, which it? was, which was uh, come on, definitely come the on. right decision. <laughs> it was definitely the right decision on your part. Um, I'll take it now. But, yeah, how are you feeling about Miles Bridges? <laughs> I mean, I, I like, you know, part of it is I just have fun watching him. The one of, b- besides seeing his development, which is a lot on the defensive end in terms of fantasy and the way he's filling the stat sheet, um, you know, there's some positive things there. One of the main reasons I couldn't let him go is something you observed, I, I think, on, on Twitter. LaMelo and Miles have a really good synergy. I saw it in the preseason. I saw it there. 
I'm hopeful it unlocks some other elements to Miles's game that we haven't quite seen. So I, I think that's still coming. I feel like he's playing with some verve he wasn't playing with in past years. So uh, I, I hope that keeps happening. Well, I also really like the whole like multiple players with the same initial and last name. Like when I had Danny Green and Draymond Green, and now you've got McCall Bridges and and Miles Bridges. So I was trying to come up with a, yeah, I was trying to come up with a good name that's two bridges, two yeah fantasy name finish. And like last year when I had Jared Allen and Jarrett Culver, really liked that. Yeah, yeah. Jared Allen. Can we talk about Jared Allen? The guy is going crazy this year. It's awesome. And one of the things I really love, you know, I check it on the Nets most games. I don't always watch the whole game. But I realized every time Jared Allen dunks, I smile. Like, he's just (laughs) good for my mood (laughs) and just general overall happiness. I love watching the guy. Yeah, Jared Allen is good vibes for sure. Um, okay. So I don't know, Kyle, is there anything else that you wanted to mention? Uh, fun tidbits, uh, fantasy things, uh, anything else you wanted to mention? You know, no, I'm, 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 I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Cause if I All say right. anything, the only thing I'm going to be saying is that I'm really happy that, uh, in one of my leagues, I went back to an efficiency build, which I haven't done in a long time because it I've looks been, brilliant, Kyle. It looks brilliant. And, and I, and I won nine zero, which is something I'd been able to do in the past when I'd done efficient builds and, um, hadn't seen anything like a nine zero or even eight one win in a long time. Cause I have these builds where you just have a slow slog of like five, four and six, three wins over and over and over again, but you never have those like truly, you know, you know, great uh, kind of soul crushing defeats for the other team. And um, you know, it feels, or, you know, let's focus on my end. I don't want to focus on, on someone's misery. I mean, let's just, let's focus on my joy. Well, you're still um, going to have to deal I'm with not, me. And I'm not lady. trying to produce misery. I mean, the misery is just a side effect. <laughs> you're, you're producing misery for nearly every other team in that league, but you're still going to have to deal with me there because I punted against your efficiency. Um, and you beat me. You did. You, yeah. Um, all right, John, I heard you talking about video games on a recent quarantine cast. Um, so before we sign off, I wanted to hear what what games are you playing? What system are you on? Um, and if there's any work that you want to promote? Oh, gosh, I have a Nintendo. I have the Switch. Nice. Um, and I uh, wisely, I didn't know at the time, but wisely waited to play uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild until until I was stuck in a w- winter quarantine situation. Um, and so it's very immersive and, you know, there's nothing I can say about it that hasn't already been said. It's a very (laughs) highly praised game. It's outstanding. I love it. Um, so I'm playing that a lot. I have another question for you, John, that I forgot to ask and I feel ashamed for not having done so. You're the author of Jad's dad, Milo. And I'm told there is basketball writing in it and it's fiction. There's not a lot of great basketball fiction out there. Tell us a little about it. Well, it's not really a, a basketball fiction, so if that's what you're expecting. But um, there's some in it, no? Yeah, yeah. There's the one of the Milo, one of the titular characters, is a, a sort of deranged Bulls fan. Um, not not too different from myself. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Um, and that's that plays into the narrative in, in some ways. Um, so that's for sale. Mosshousebooks.com. You can check it out. Okay. Um, nice. 
and there will be a follow-up to that. Some sort of serialization seems to be happening. Um, uh, nice. Like olden times, like Victorian serialization, but for yeah. today. Yeah, I mean, I've always, people are always calling me Victorian, so it's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's about time I live up to it. Um, so there's that, and then you can check out my regular um, MBA contributions at realgm.com. Yeah, I, I highly it. recommend that. I read through all that this weekend. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah, it's a, I wrote about LaMelo recently. Um, I wrote about Kevin Durant coming back this season. Just kind of whatever makes me happy um, in the NBA at any, any given time, because it's we talk about COVID and everything and that making the season complicated and hard to follow. And I was talking to my editor over there and, and how that's such a bummer. And I'm just trying to bring the, like, Hey, I, and that's kind of why I've enjoyed listening to you guys' podcasts as I've started to do recently. Like you guys just love basketball. Um, (laughs) And and we were talking about this before we started recording, you listen to some of the more big mainstream media NBA podcasts and it's, you can have a harder time finding the love for basketball in those sometimes um so that was super refreshing um when i started listening to you guys and so i'm trying to bring that same energy to my real gm columns nice. awesome nice. i love it um that's a great way to go out so uh we're signing off we are turning off the phantom power cheers Quack, 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 quack,